Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. So hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Race IndyCar podcast. My name's Jack Benyon and with me as always is my trusty colleague JR Hildebrand and we're here to wrap up the ongoings from the Road America weekend. So on this week's show we'll be looking at Joseph Newgarden's dominant victory, uh, a teammate clash between Alex Pelot and Marcus Ericsson over at Ganassi, my experiences of being trackside, a little bit of silly season talk and we'll cover off some of the other drivers that had some good or bad weekends at Road America. JR, how are you doing and, and what are you up to at the moment? Good man, yeah, I'm in uh, down in southwest Colorado. Uh, enjoying the weekend away from the racetrack, I guess. But uh, yeah, it was was awesome to watch a lot of racing this weekend, I feel like. Although maybe I wasn't supposed to be. Um, <laughs> found myself watching <laughs> F1 and trying to keep up on Le Mans and uh, NASCAR at Sonoma, uh, not least of which IndyCar at, at Road America. So a lot of great championships running at awesome places and uh, some some good racing to to keep up on over the weekend for sure. You did the ride for Nikki as well. Tell us a little bit about that because that's a, that's an awesome initiative, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, for Nikki Hayden on six nine, obviously Nikki's number was sixty nine throughout his career, throughout most of his career. Uh, the the backstory there is, uh, I think his his dad Earl, he always said, well, it's a great number to have because it looks the same when you're upside down as it does when you're right side up. So. <laughs> If you ever find your, find yourself in that uh, in that position, that, uh, at least we could still recognize that it's that it's you, kid. So uh, anyway, it's uh, obviously you know Nikki was Nikki was a huge fan of all kinds of motorsport and loved the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. He was out at the track for a number of years, uh, kind of at the tail end of of his career, and uh, we you know a, a number of us got to know him I actually got to know him a little bit through some of the work that we were doing with the National Guard because his brother Roger was also racing he was racing super bikes in the US sponsored by the National Guard for um, for Michael Jordan's team actually at the time and so Nikki was kind of around and and came to some of the when it was his off season or when he was back in the states came to a number of the just sort of kickoff deals and and uh i don't know it wasn't like conventions but sort of rallies that we had at, at different national guard sites and, and some different stuff so got to know him a little bit through that and just obviously an, an incredible not only an incredible athlete and and motorcycle rider but just a great a great human a great guy and uh, someone that i definitely think we've missed out on not being able to see what the rest of his sort of life and influence and impact on the sport would have been post his writing career. There's, there's, you know, Justin Wilson is, is sort of in that same category for me. There's some of these guys that you just, you just know that they would have done something special to build around the community of the sport. And, uh, and so Nikki's 
I guess fiance Jackie Marin um, has taken on this ride for Nikki, and it's been really cool to to play a part in it. They do a huge ride down in Southern California that it's like a massive group ride that they go ride 69 miles and it's it's quite a cool thing but i've done it remotely for the last few years and uh it's sort of some donations go into a fund that they use not only just keep the whole thing going but work with some different charitable groups and and things like that so um was 69 miles is always it's right it's always right after i come back from indy and so i've not, <laughs> not usually been on the bike for a little bit in colorado like I've sort of just getting to the point that the weather is good enough and early, you know, in, in April into May that, um, I'm getting out on the bike at all at that point. So it's usually a little bit of a shock to the system, but, uh, but always fun <laughs> to do and, and worth, worth pounding it out. So, um, was glad to be able to get that in this year for sure. Yeah. Great cause. And from one athlete to the next, uh, one great athlete to the next, we can uh, move on to, to Joseph Newgarden and his spectacular weekend at, at Road America. I, I guess the the initial phase was was qualifying up front. He, he qualified second. Um, you know, in, in, in qualify or after qualifying, he and Alexander Rossi both thought that, that Alexander was going to be much better on the on the harder tire and that and that Joseph was going to be, you know, strong on the soft. So the first stint where Joseph wasn't able to to get past Alexander was, you know, looking like it could be crucial uh, that that Alexander had, had kept uh, Joseph behind him. But um yeah, the the first pit stop from from Joseph's crew was awesome, got him out ahead. Alexander Rossi was held up by Scott McLaughlin pitting just in front of him and had to kind of hold back and, and wait for him to, to get into to his box so so that gave joseph another kind of jump and then yeah joseph's uh joseph's stint where he pulled well over seven seconds on alexander rossi and in, in in that um second stint was was absolutely phenomenal and i guess would have been the crucial element of the victory if it wasn't for the the two late cautions that we got and then yeah the the restarts then became the you know the kind of highlight of the race in in that sense and and, and the key kind of winning factor where he was able to yeah just pull out two absolutely phenomenal restarts on, on Alexander Rossi and, and kind of left him in his wake. So I guess, Jared, I wanted to ask you about this, the, the the momentum aspect, because, you know, Joseph is uh, 37 points behind now, I think, in the in the championship, but uh, he, he's won on a, an oval, he's won on a street course, um, he's won on a road course. I think he's the only driver to win more than one race and he's won three. And the, the three races is usually what kind of you're looking for at the start of the year to win you a championship. If, if you're not winning three races then there's a good chance you're not going to win the championship. And, and that's kind of an important threshold. So where, where do you see him in this championship now? Do you, do you feel like the, the momentum is with him and he's kind of, you know, emerging as the favorite after this, this road America weekend, or do you think there's, you know, still a lot of momentum with Indy 500 winner, Marcus Ericsson, or maybe there's someone else you're, you're kind of keeping an eye on in the background there. I think Joseph, he definitely has some momentum right now. He, to me is the most, I'm trying to think of quite what the right word is, but he's the most well-rounded in terms of his ability to show up at any of the remaining races. He's going to be strong. He he could be strong at literally anywhere. And he could be strong independent of his team being great at any of the rest of these tracks. So I think that that to me says he's he's a he's a driver that could show up and win at any of these circuits. And I think that what we've seen from Joseph in the past, we're seeing it now, which is he may not have absolutely dominant form, but it will be a surprise to me to see him be completely out of the picture at any of these places. There's just a a sort of 
robustness to his ability to extract lap time when it matters in qualifying to at least keep himself in the mix, even if everything's not going right. And then during the races, just to be able to find the lap time and grind grind it out to be able to get those results. So he may not be, we've seen him win three races. We've seen him win three races in, in different ways. And, and he is without question capable of being totally dominant over the course of a weekend. But I think what, if, if I'm another driver, if I'm in one of these other camps, what concerns me about having to beat Joseph Newgarden is just that he's probably going to be there every weekend one way or the other, you're going to have to have some, you're going to have to have some things really not go well for him over the course of the rest of the year to keep him out of the picture. Basically. I mean, last year we did end up seeing that down the stretch that he was in this similar kind of similar position. Wasn't quite as close at this point in the season, I don't think, but as it got down to the last few races, he did have some uncharacteristically bad qualifying performances that kept him kind of out of the mix more than he needed to be going down the stretch, but then closed it out at Long Beach by sticking it on the pole and, um, you know, ended up going the distance. And so uh, I think that he's just, he's capable of extracting whatever is available to him. I think at least as well or better than, than anybody else. And what there is, there's a little, yeah, Scott Dixon comes to mind certainly as somebody that you expect to see that from, We've talked a little bit about him just not quite, or the nine crew or whatever, somehow just not quite having the form that we expect from them or not quite firing on all cylinders the same way that we're, the same way, frankly, that just they need to be able to, to be able to maintain, to keep themselves in the hunt. Alex Pillow, I think, is the only other driver that is in that same category as Newgarden uh, in terms of being able to just get whatever's there. And, and just by doing that, maybe not have to have spectacular dominant weekends over the course of the year to be able to be there when it counts at the end. Um, you know, the other drivers that are kind of still in the mix, we obviously, Marcus Erickson is leading the points. Will Power is second. Pato's right there. There's, there's some other drivers that are more than capable of winning this championship at this point. There's there's no question about that. All of those guys are good enough. They're in cars that are good enough. Their teams have all stepped up to the plate. Uh, I'm, this is not to say I think that Joseph, that I think for sure Joseph's going to win the championship or that Alex Palou is going to, Palou is going to bring himself back up into the conversation and then, you know, beat all of these guys to do it. I just think that among the group that's, that's there, right now at sort of the mid-season point, Joseph and Alex seem like the two guys to me that I, I, I'm having a hard time thinking of a, a weekend that they're not going to be strong. And and that the, I, I just don't, you know, I don't get the feeling that either of them are really susceptible to that. So that's a driving thing. That's also a, a headspace thing. I think the, the difference right now that I see from Joseph, even compared to Joseph at some times in the past is there is a really distinct level of determination that he is bringing to the table here. Like he's treating this as if, if he's not on the pole, if he's not winning the race, then, then forget it. I don't want to talk about it. Uh, He, it was, there was very much that vibe from him at Detroit 
And it felt the same way. It felt like it, we were going to get the same thing from him here that he's kind of like, okay, yeah, we won the race. Just his expectation at this point is that they're going to win and they're going to show up at every track for the rest of the year with the expectation. They're going to be on the pole and they're going to win the race and nothing else is satisfactory in terms of what they know there or what he feels his peak ability is, what he feels his team's peak ability should be. And that's that's something that that doesn't always that doesn't work in every situation i don't think as a as a driver in a team that can sort of start to backfire if if people start to become a little overly attached to the result week in and week out but it strikes me in this particular situation that there that this is just a a really intense drive that he's feeling maybe particularly coming off of a lackluster race we'll just say over over the, you know month couple of weeks at Indianapolis they're very focused and they're you know they're just putting it all into pouring it all into everything they do every weekend now yeah i agree with the the determination point that you made uh, he definitely he definitely seems that but he also you know kind of away from Away from the immediacy of any session or or a race, he seems extremely relaxed off the track. Um, but there's definitely something eating away at him, and that's the the consistency that the the team has lacked. And I think that's something we've come to expect. And from from Penske and from Joseph Newgarden as a package, and it's easy to see why he is concerned about this first half of the season. Because if we look back, we can go back to to 2020 when he finished outside of the top 12 once in 14 races and then in 2021 he finished outside of the top 12 twice in 17 races and if you look at this season uh, you know he's he's won three races finished fourth and then the other four races have all been outside the top 12 and that's why he finds himself you know outside of the championship lead at this point despite winning three races so early in the season after after just eight races so that's definitely a a point of contention for him and something that he really wants to to clean up but he was definitely happy after the race after winning the the people ready force for good challenge which is awarded to the driver who you know first can win on an oval street circuit and road course all in uh, all in succession so a million dollars headed towards joseph 500 of that will go to charity so that's really cool and then 500 will be will go to him and, and split between his crew so he was definitely pleased about that and said that he was going to spend well over a hundred dollars on mcdonald's uh for, <laughs> for his crew after the weekend which was cool. It was also just talking about his kind of relaxation as well. It was really awesome to see him in the paddock. Um, I, I was, I happened to be in the support series paddock um, on the, I think it was yesterday, the Sunday before the race. And he, he'd gone over to, to find uh, Cliff Dempsey and uh, his wife, Michelle, who obviously uh, ran Joseph when he, he came over to the UK in, in Formula Ford. And it was great. And I'd walked past, uh, must have been half an hour later, and he was still there, you know, talking to them. And um, I'd said to Joseph, make sure you look after these people. Uh, you know, these are my people. And he said, they look after me. And he was, you know, he was really, uh, you know, it won't be a surprise to any fans or, or anyone who knows Joseph, but the the amount of time that he gives to other people and you know he's definitely a really a genuine guy as you would have found when when you were his teammate but it's really nice to see that that is blended with this kind of fierce competitor that we're seeing this year you know he's furious when he's not winning races or on pole and and it's i think we all expect that from him but it's really nice to see that when he's visibly angry about something because that doesn't happen with joseph very often and we definitely saw that a bit of that in detroit let's move on jr let's talk about marcus ericsson and, and alex Pelot. Uh, lap three at turn five alex Pelot left the door open 
Marcus Ericsson, you know, took his opportunity, dived down the inside. They made contact. It was Marcus Ericsson's right rear and Alex Pelot's front left broke Alex Pelot's steering and really cost him, you know, big in the championship. And you, know, you could tell that in his, you know, in his interview from the from the infield care centre, he was he was. I think it's fair to say he was pretty furious about the the whole thing. And um, yeah, basically said we can play those games as well. So uh, a little bit of. Uh, hinting at retribution, maybe even from from Alex Polo, the most softly spoken and seemingly um, you know kindest guy in the paddock, who, who never says anything bad about his team or, or anything like that. So it definitely irked him. What did you make of this move, Jr? And, and do you think Alex's kind of um, analysis of it in the immediate aftermath aftermath was fair? I think that at the end of the day, this is going to be something that's going to blow over because. I think when they both sit down and I all I think and and I think part of that is because Marcus also in his post-race interview was so clearly not apologetic necessarily about the move but it was on his mind certainly that he didn't want for that to happen to a teammate so it wasn't I don't it, I don't think this will be something that's becomes combative I would expect that once the two of them actually review it in more detail that they'll they'll recognize that they're sort of both some the that the right answer or the right solution or the right situation whatever is somewhere in the middle of where they're coming from it was interesting certainly to see alex's reaction to it um but that being said it's natural just to feel that way when you get out of the car one way or the other when your race is over like that i mean honestly i was surprised that it did i was personally surprised that it broke the toe link just because it didn't really seem it didn't it wasn't at much speed it wasn't that's a slow corner so the the forces are not that significant i think it's just a matter of just the angle of the steering you know the angle of the wheel basically when it hits you know we've seen a few of these incidents uh alex alexander rossi and colton herda at laguna last year just when you hit just the right place it basically just kicks it there's a lot of force that goes through the front half of one of the front wheels and that that in with alexander and colton last year it was just the difference between firing alexander off the track instantly um this was a broken toe link but there's definitely a sensitivity in that part for how for how frequently we see guys bashing into each other and kind of getting away with it and like nothing happens. <laughs> it's occasional that we see something like this that doesn't really look that bad. Uh, and and we think, oh, well, the Indy car is burly enough to handle that. And and it's not. It's as Alex said, it's still an open wheel car. It's still there is still a, an element of fragility to it. So I think unfortunate just that it happened that way because this was the type of incident that if they'd have been an inch or two different one way or the other, it's probably just a quick wheel bang and they both keep going and it doesn't end up making any difference to anybody's race. And it probably isn't even something that we're talking about afterwards. It's just because Alex ended up out of the race that it's such a big deal. And, and it is, I guess my feeling was I'm, I'm a little bit siding with, Marcus, just in terms of the the overall essence of the the move, yes, it's on a teammate. Yes, it's early in the race. Might you hope, as Alex Plow, that that you're not gonna get stuffed by your teammate that early? Yeah, but if it's there, it's there. And had that been anybody else, we wouldn't even be talking about whether if it, I mean had it had it been somebody other than another Ganassi car, 
there'd be no question in terms of whether that was a reasonable enough move. Um, you know, we saw it happening down into turn five, sort of throughout the race, either as inside moves or outside moves that if you're in the train, you're just getting a little bit backed up and there ends up being a door open one way or the other somewhere for somebody to kind of get in. And basically by the apex, Marcus was all the way alongside. It was just, he's carrying speed across to the exit of the corner. So he's on a little bit of a different like vector basically through the corner on a different trajectory from the apex to the exit than Alex is being a little bit hung out. So Alex has wheel in it, sort of anticipating that the car that's going by him is going to be turning enough that he's going to slot in and it just didn't work that way. And they end up banging wheels and, and that was that. So I think the fact that there was no action taken by the stewards is also reflective of the fact that this is not, this was not as a racing incident, a super big deal. And I guess, although it did seem testy over the course of the event and and hearing the interviews and, and it sounded like there was certainly some tension there, it just seems like the type of thing that's going to resolve itself. And, and I imagine doesn't have lingering consequences. Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely would agree with that. I think there are two, two really nice guys who, who don't make a habit of making contact with people on track. And this, this kind of thing really doesn't happen. And I think personally, I think if Alex had spoken again after the race, I think he would have had a different, um, you know, different interpretation of the incident, especially given that when he spoke about it, he hadn't seen the kind of on track replay. Um, and you know, it's just, uh, if we break this down frame by frame, I think this all starts by Alex leaving the door open at the, the only kind of major overtaking corner on the track and, you know, Marcus having a run. I think if Alex spots it, Marcus has got a run there and he shuts the door, that obviously doesn't happen. But I also think, you know, Alex could have sort of seen what was going on a little bit quicker there and maybe just used the runoff a little bit more and, and even, you know, just got on the grass because, you know, it's clear at that point that Marcus is ahead. He's he's made his move. Uh, the, the dive has come from quite a way back and there's, in that situation, Marcus is going to struggle to overslow the car. Like he's committed to that move at that point and he's carrying a certain amount of speed into the corner and he's going to make the corner. So at that point, if you're Alex and you want to stay in the race, you know, you have to, you have to yield there, I think, and, and live to fight another day and, and, and try and get him back later in the race. And I, w- I wonder if it's just, we, you know, we don't really see Alex Blow getting overtaken very often, do we? And I just wonder if it's just a little bit of maybe him just being taken by surprise a little bit. And uh, maybe that came out in his frustration, maybe in from the, from the care center. And, and maybe that was something he was kind of uh, feeling um, underneath what he was saying. Uh, but I, I, I'm, sure when he watches that back he'll you know he'll apologize to Marcus for, for for what he said and 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 kind of see that that was you know as much his fault as it was Marcus for the for the contact that they had yeah I definitely agree with that Mother's Day is around the corner find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones Blue Nile has something she'll adore need it fast most items can ship overnight plus enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. First weekend at Road America for you, man. What was that like? Honestly, JR, it's the best track I've, I've been to. Uh, I've been lucky enough to go to some of the tracks that people discuss when they talk about some of the, you know, the old school racing circuits of the world, the the spas of, of the world. And honestly, Road America was, was the best um, full stop really for me. I was really, really lucky. I've been, you know, it's one thing I should say is that since I've, you know, come into the IndyCar paddock a bit more this year and, and been a sort of visible face, everyone has been, you know, so incredibly welcoming, whether it's the series, the the tracks that we've been to, or, or even fellow journalists who, you know, you might see as competition or, or they might see you as competition for, for, for clicks and for eyes these days. But, all of them so welcome and, and that was you know nowhere was that more clear than at road america where marshall Pruitt offered to to take me around the track and show me some of the you know some of the the key corners for for learning about how these indy cars react on track and it was absolutely phenomenal to go the, the carousel i was totally blown away by best best corner I've, I've ever been to just for the fact that i guess maybe a few years ago if you'd have gone uh, with the manufacturer aero kits it might have been a little bit less spectacular in the sense that you're probably flat through there or at least uh, close to flat in, in qualifying especially but with these you know where we are with the aero on the cars now there's f- some some feathering of the throttle and you see some different lines through there and you see you guys get it really wrong and it really messes up the the next kind of i guess it kind of messes up the next sector if you if you get it wrong through there um but just seeing the variant styles and uh, i don't think there's any corner i've ever been to where you learn more from listening than you do from actually watching the cars and that that in itself was was pretty spectacular and yeah canada corner was another one where i really really enjoyed watching from there we managed to get up in the trees above it so you could see quite high up and that really you could really see the the kind of mid corner understeer that the guys are dealing with since the aero screens come in and the the teams that have, have been able to dial that out and the teams that are still maybe struggling with that uh, a little bit the the kind of you know, it's just a behavior of the car now we've got weight high up and at the front and, and center of the car that the mid corner understeer is kind of something that you just have to deal with and sort of try and try and work around with with your setup and uh, yeah Canada corner was a great opportunity to to see that in action and it almost looked like the drivers were turning left sometimes at the at the middle of the corner such was the aggression of that understeer which was you know pretty spectacular but yeah absolutely loved it JR the the people are amazing uh, I really like cheese curds I really like double brats they were all great. <laughs> um, probably gonna. Yeah. Did you did you get the full this full spectrum of the Road America smorgasbord? Yeah. Man. Of the various. I mean, there's breakfast sandwiches. There's brats. There's all kinds of good stuff. Yeah, and I'm hundred percent gonna regret it when I get home and I've put on like I don't know <laughs> forty pounds or something. But it's all right. It's worth it to to kind of get on with the experience. But yeah, I know I know this has been a, a really big year for Road America in terms of attendance. Is one of the bigger ones. I know Graham Rahal had tweeted about. Uh, you know, just you know, from what he'd seen, was he felt like was one of the biggest one biggest races at Road America that that he'd been to, and the the countryside around the place, and you know the the surrounding area, really, really phenomenal. So yeah, absolutely falling in love with the place, Jr. I'll come back every single year I'm allowed to, or someone pays me to. Right on. No, that's that's super cool to hear. It is one of the greatest. I think one of the things too is just watching on TV, even more so than you know, you you sort of expect. Okay, we're street course races are going to be where you really see the cars, the, the sort of brutal nature of the way an Indy car works. And, you know, it doesn't have a lot of downforce compared to an F1 car, but it's still got plenty of power and it's on the Firestone tire that is, you know, 
not not on purpose is not like ultra ultra sticky so the cars are moving around and you know you really get to see drivers fighting it we talk about how physical indycar is and the just the the nature of the driving experience relative to some other some other championships but i feel like you almost see that as much at road america as you see anywhere just because of the way the runoff is because of the way that the curbing the curbing that's off track is all in bounds so totally usable i mean it's it's one of these places we mentioned it on the on the last podcast just that there's no there's no stress over how you look at track limits at road america like it's pretty it's pretty uh uh self-regulating i guess from that perspective <laughs> but the the curbing the exit curbing in a lot of places canada corner the last corner turn 14 coming onto the front straight uh turn one those places in particular stand out to me is it's it's not even like colored painted curbing it's just extra it, it that to the naked eye like at a glance it just looks like extra road basically but it's a really tall um just the the sort of amplitude of the rumble strip that's built into that is really significant and so the cars lose a lot of grip compared to the regular racing surface when you get out there and use that little bit extra road uh so roman grosjean's qualifying lap kept coming up but even just throughout the race you're seeing guys you're seeing these little puffs of dirt and all kinds of you know maneuvering and catching the car and tire you know rubber patches being laid down out of corners um that it was just it was cool to see it was cool to see the cars work and and see them out of permanent road course where where that was so prevalent over the course of the race just being able to see being able to kind of recognize the difficulty factor of what it takes to be fast in an Indy car. I think that's, that's something as drivers and within the industry that the more downforce you have, the more, the more, the more of a precision instrument, the car becomes the less you can recognize those things just throughout the sport. And so it was cool to me to watch over the course of this weekend um, and just just see that from the outside that yeah okay this is this is this is clear to clear to see if you're watching this race this is not an easy thing to do so i i enjoyed uh, sort of that component of even watching watching from the outside and it's being repaved at the end of the year as well so that's going to be an interesting you know it'll be interesting to see if the like barber when was when that was repaved repaved a few years ago whether it gets, gets quite a lot quicker and there's a lot more grip on offer there or or, or how that kind of repaving goes i know a, a few of the drivers are really looking forward to see you know how that goes because of the potential for adding some grip there so that that might make things a bit more interesting as well come come next year yeah cool I, I'm, so i'm curious from your perspective you've been in the paddock now for for a few weekends recently you you've always got a better beat on the silly season than i do and, that's not true. Uh, I'm curious. I'm curious what your what your perspective on it is now. You get all the naughty inside driver gossip that I have to <laughs> that I have to break balls for, and you just kind of wander in and just people just talk about it. You know. <laughs> yeah, I think the 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 big one is obviously what's going on at McLaren and and how that kind of shakes out. We we know that. Well, we 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 think there's a good chance that Felix Rose and Chris is is staying at McLaren next year in what capacity that's going to be is where the big question lies. So the the big month that we've discussed that he's had on the podcast, you know, he backed that up again with another strong drive to, to sixth, which potentially could have been fifth if he'd have found a way past Colton Herter at the end on that kind of heavy fuel save strategy, which he really needed a caution for in the second half of the race a little bit earlier to, to kind of 
help him out a little bit there. I think if he was going to, you know, make a challenge to to win the race. But as it stood, it was a, you know, the strategy shook out and he, he finished ahead of where he started. So that was the, I guess that's the main thing. But he's had a great month. He's performing really well, showing that he deserves it in IndyCar seat. And, and that kind of coincides with two other factors. And that's Renus VK having a, a really poor month in May, as again, as we've discussed on the on the podcast and, and struggled at Road America uh, again. I think I think that was an Ed Carpenter struggle as much as a Renus VK struggle this weekend. I think they're, their setup was a little bit off this weekend, but still, you know, Renus has had a, a really difficult month. So whether McLaren, you know, want to go for, you know, a driver that has been inconsistent, although has been peaky and shown that he can, you know, win a race, um, is is a big question mark for McLaren. And you know, I think a lot of the people at the moment think, you know, Felix is a, a much safer bet to have in that team, especially when it comes to. You know, you've got Pato Award and Alexander Rossi, two massive personalities, and, and Felix will be someone who, you know, will slot in very well there and, and you know, is a very neutral character who everyone really likes and gets on with. So, you know, that 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 would be the perfect fit. The other question is whether they'll need him for Formula E. He's still pretty much the only person uh, that is being discussed, you know, about in the Formula E paddock in connection with McLaren for, for that seat at the moment. Um, and I think he's been favourite to get that seat for a while. So I guess it comes down to McLaren, whether they can, you know, do, do they go with VK? Um, you know, Alex Polo, they've also been after. I, I, I don't really think there's a lot of, um, you know, truth in the fact that Alex Plow might move to McLaren, but it's worth a go for McLaren if he's, you know, his contract doesn't reflect the, you know, the champion that he's become so quickly while he's been at Ganassi, then, you know, it makes sense for McLaren to, to have a go there and see if they can poach him. But uh, I don't think that's going to happen. So, so if they decide VK isn't the option and, and Polo isn't, you know, going to be on the table, then Felix might be, you know, the only and the best option for them for, for next season. But then they have to find someone for Formula E. So we're going to see a merry go around there, JR, and that's going to that's going to shake up and, and change quite significantly. There's a little bit of talk about whether Maya Shank will stay with, with Helio full-time next year or, or not. Uh, I tend to think they will and that there won't be any changes there. I know Callum Eilat's pretty, you know, sure that he's going to stay on at, at Huncost for for next season. There won't be any change there. Um, he, he's under contract, so I, I don't think there'll be any movement there. And I think we've, I think that pretty much runs us through most of the the silly season stories. I guess the only other thing that we've not mentioned on the pod yet, which was interesting, was that there's uh, a lighter error screen in development. It's been in development for a long time, but they've confirmed that you know that's going to be coming in pretty soon for for 2024, along with some you know some new bodywork for for the Indy 500 in 2024 to match the the new hybrid engines so it'll be interesting to see how much the cars change obviously we've been through a period recently where the visuals of the car have changed quite a lot even though the the actual chassis hasn't changed for for so long so it'll be interesting to see if that really shakes up how the how the cars look and, and how they perform and, and whether they decide to extend that bodywork um you know the the new bodywork into road courses and street courses i don't think they will at the moment but it's a possibility that they might decide that that, that may, it might be a good option for them so i guess that's where we're up to for, in terms of the paddock stories and uh, yeah it'll be july now when we see the the 2024 engines on track with the actual hybrid units in for the first time so that'll be something else that we're kind of having a look at and, and seeing how that's uh, developing hi producer johnny here interrupting the show momentarily to tell you about roan a clothes brand we think you'd like i don't know about you but finding clothes you like can be tough sizes can vary from brand to brand and fabrics can be poor quality or uncomfortable we all know a good outfit can impact your confidence and help you feel your best. And that's where Roan comes in. Their range of stylish, functional, business casual menswear helps you look good without having to think about it. It's versatile, high quality and durable and works in a range of social and professional settings. 
Roan's commuter collection includes products for every occasion, including the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, quarter zips, polos and blazers. It also features, and get this, wrinkle release technology and gold fusion anti-odor technology for more wears between washes, so you'll be fresh and clean all day long. Roan were kind enough to send me a shirt and some pants from the commuter collection, and I can tell they're gonna be part of my wardrobe for a long time to come. The commuter collection could get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. Head to roan.com forward slash race and use promo code race to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to rhone.com forward slash race and use code race. It's time to find your corner office comfort. guess we should mention some of the other drivers from the race jar and, and cover cover off um some other people gone into quite quite a lot of detail with ericsson and Polo there and, and new garden but there were some other you know stories worth covering off obviously alexander rossi was passed by marcus ericsson on the last restart at turn one but still managed to finish third uh, his teammates roman grosjean and colton herter behind him all three of them i think well especially grosjean and herter needed you know, a big race this weekend and, and just to, to finish in the top five or the top 10. And they all did that. And in the same boat as that, I think Scott McLaughlin, who, you know, brought that home uh, seventh behind Felix Rosenquist. So an, another one for him where he's had four races now of, of, of disappointment, Scott McLaughlin. So, you know, that'd be really important for him. Should mention Graham Rahal as well, came from 22nd on the grid, using that same strategy as Felix Rosenquist, pitting a bit early under those early cautions. So that was a good drive from them. I think they've you know, I think it's well documented now that they've struggled expanding to three cars and maybe they're a bit thin on the ground personnel-wise, but that was a big result. And also Christian Lungard, Ray Hall's teammate and, and Jack Harvey, you know, 10th and 13th as well. So maybe a bit of positivity there. And Callum Eilat, who we mentioned earlier, was 11th for Huncos after quite a few uh, errors on his behalf over the past few races as well. So I think really important to mention them. And we should mention Pato Award, who was on for a top 10 and his engine blew. So he went to the bottom of the order like Alex Pullo. What did you make of the the power and De Francesco situation, JR? That was another one where, um, you know, I felt like maybe, I don't know. I, I think the interpretation there was, you know, that, that De Francesco had, had done something absolutely terrible, which, uh, you know, I kind of I kind of agree that it was his mistake, but I I thought Will kind of at the previous corner was very robust towards you know basically almost pushing Devlin off the track, and then. You know, when we came into the breaking zone, uh, I'm not sure if Will did move or not and, and Devlin, you know, what Devlin saw there. I'm not entirely sure. And obviously that was that was a negative, but I really didn't like Will kind of wheel banging with Devlin at turn one, basically after the checkered flag, which I thought was, um, you know, a bit NASCAR style and, and not something we should be having in single seaters, especially when, you, you know, you, like you hear Alex Pelot saying earlier in the race that... Um, that the, the cars are single seaters and they can break easily or, or more easily than a, than a stock car or, or something like that. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that the the move going down in turn five, it's it's a bummer that they don't ever that they don't show it as frequently from the onboard view going down in there, or that there isn't a camera angle that's a little bit more. The, the camera angle that you see there is kind of tracking the cars from from like on the outside of the track down into the apex. So you just don't really get a great feel for not only the elevation change, it's really, it's pretty downhill going into the braking zone, but there's also, you're coming down the straightaway prior to the braking zone. You can kind of put yourself in the driver's shoes. Like you're coming down the straight, the whole straightaway is bending to the left and there's a kink that's a kink to the left that then the braking zone sort of opens up and straightens out 
down the hill into turn five there. And so as a car that if you're defending against a car behind you, you can use that kink basically to just be sort of a natural, you can, you can, it's a little bit mid Ohio has this in the middle of the straightaway going to the right in the same way that it's just sort of a natural barrier that you can fade across the kink, keep the, keep cars away from jamming into your inside or being stuck on your inside prior to that point. And then, you know, you're the, the, that usually is enough to keep a car behind you. If you've got a car behind you at that point, you're sort of even basically in terms of your performance going down into the braking zone. So typically you can just break wherever you would normally break. Will still broke, was breaking down in the middle of the track at that point. So he was maintaining a uh, defensive line. It wasn't like he was fading all the way back to the right from that kink on the left. Um, but I, and so I think from Devlin's perspective, he's basically just, he's so anxious to try to make that pass because he's got to run, you know, he's, he's in his mind committed to making a pass there because he's just had this big run that is, you know, sometimes you just get locked into that mode of like, I've got a huge run. I'm, I'm going to go by this guy one way or the other then ending up with a sort of moment of indecision because Will has covered off the inside basically by driving up against the left side of the track as it kinks to the left, but then starts to starts to come up just as you do. You're not going to end up breaking all the way on the inside of the track on the left. So he's Will's kind of starting to migrate away from the left side of the track as the direction of the track changes down into the middle of the you know, basically in the middle of the track to break into the corner, still in defensive mode from his perspective. But that's kind of, it's kind of opening up a little bit of space to the inside. And I think Devlin was just locked into looking for that gap. And at that point, not aware, not having enough awareness for when the actual breaking point is and whether or not whether that gap is going to open up enough for him to take advantage of it. And so basically it all just collapsed on him that, okay, at this point now, Will is, Will is now on the brakes. Devlin's not, Devlin was going to potentially like overshoot the breaking point there one way or the other without collecting Will. And, uh, and that's, that's sort of what, so it's, it's just a tricky, if you're in that mode where you're committed, we're pre-committed to making a pass it's an easy place to have an issue, particularly with IndyCar's current current blocking and and sort of defense defending rules, which are that as long as you make the move first, like you're you're allowed to be wherever you want to be. So it was definitely Devlin's fault. It was a misjudged pass that ended up in avoidable contact. But I think what frankly, what we're seeing in some of these reactions is there's a group of drivers that respect each other and there's a group of drivers that don't. And that right now Devlin's been in enough of these incidents to not have earned the, the sort of free pass in racing incidents. This, this was not like an egregious, this was not purposeful. This was not, you know, this, this could have, this if, if he hadn't hit him just like that in just the right way, 
maybe it doesn't totally screw up Will's race and and maybe it isn't something that we're talking about. It wasn't it wasn't like a, an extreme offense from my perspective, but um, Will's reaction is coming as a result of Will being one of the guys that's been around for a long time that doesn't basically just doesn't put up with this kind of stuff. And, <laughs> and so uh, you've got sort of the perfect storm of criteria for a veteran to be pissed off at a rookie. And, and that's just how it goes. I mean, we've, as rookies, you just get into these situations. I was, you know, not, not in this exact kind of circumstance because I didn't take anybody out, but I had a couple of races in my rookie season at I- Iowa comes to mind that, uh, you know, we ended up finishing fourth because we basically just like rolled through a few of past Ryan Briscoe and kind of hung him out to dry past approaching a, approaching a lapped car going into turns three and four. Like I basically pinned him against a lap car so that he didn't have anywhere to go. And he had to basically like hit the brakes to avoid running into the back of a lap car. Cause I had sort of positioned myself such that that's where he was going to be. And then past Dario Franchitti for fourth with 10 to go or something because, and, and held him, held him high going into turn one so that there wasn't any way that he could keep the outside going through the corner. And, had both of those guys like in my grill at the end of the race, you know, giving me a little slap on the wrist that, you know, one of them ended up apologizing for later. So some of this is just, there's a natural reaction that veteran drivers are going to have when you get in incidents with, with less experienced drivers. Devlin's been that guy more often than not so far this year. You can kind of make it that what you want. Uh, I do think it was overkill from Will. It was definitely, I think he should be, he should, somebody should talk to him certainly about his reaction at the end of the race. That was unsafe and totally uncalled for. And uh, like, you should never use the car as a means of reprimanding somebody for something like that's just, that's ridiculous. And, uh, you know, I, I think this will be something that ends up, that ends up blowing over, but, um, yeah, altogether, not a good look, I don't think, on, on either side, frankly. I agree. And Will took the law into his own hands. So we'll have to see how, how that one plays out in the in the next few races, I guess. We've got quite a few wheel-banging incidents from that race that we'll be keeping an eye on to see if there's any sort of uh, follow-up or, or whether they do blow over, as you said. JR, thanks so much for your time on, on this week's episode. We've got a, a very special guest joining us next week. Should we tell them who it is, JR, or should we make them wait? I think you got to make them wait. All right, so we've got a very successful driver. <laughs> hey, I want to I just before we before we sign off, I want to give a quick shout out to um, Simona Di Silvestro yeah. for jumping in and having an otherwise pretty solid looking race. Actually, by the end, she was looking sporty. Um, I think, un- unfortunately, just kind of mired mired back in the pack. And I wouldn't, I don't want to underestimate how difficult that is just to jump in, no testing, no nothing you know, a track that she's been to before and, and been to, I, I guess, I don't know if she's been here in an Indy car. No. To be honest with you. No. Uh, yeah, maybe she hasn't. So She hasn't. No. Uh, that's that's a pretty tall order. Um, and then also to Tatiana Calderon, she, uh, just from having a bit more insight into what's going on at Foyt, lost something like half a second. I thought it looked like more after actually watching the onboard video uh, from her qualifying lap, but um unfortunate i think in for 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 both ladies that they're in a situation where they're just not getting 
the, the state of IndyCar these days is such that you basically just don't get you don't get testing, you don't get much practice around a place like this. The number of laps that you log in practice is really insignificant anyway, just because the lap is so long. So the the number of reps that you get, even without cautions and all the rest of it, per per session is pretty low. Um, I thought that they both did a, a a really good job, just as not not as not as the two females in the group, but just as to if in Simona's case, basically a rookie driving an Indy car here and not having driven an Indy car in a long time. And in Tatiana's case, a complete, complete rookie, never having been, you know, been here in Indy car or, or raced an Indy car besides this year. Um, you know, they showed some definite, some definite just ability and, um, you know, overall, I, I was a, a, among the rookie class. I was impressed with both of them over the course of the weekend, just the progress that they made, and hopefully, they'll both get a chance to do it again um, with a little bit more, a little bit more experience in their back pocket. Yeah, definitely cool to both point both of those out. Um, Tatiana, I think, under the radar a little bit, has done some some pretty good things this year, given how little testing, as you mentioned, that that these guys have, and yeah, you know, Peretta Autosport coming back uh for for their first race of the season with with Simona and this new combination with with Ed Carpenter racing so we'll definitely keep an eye, a close eye on that and I'm sure uh, Beth and or Simona will be joining us on the pod at some point this year so we'll look forward to that thanks very much for listening to this episode of the race IndyCar podcast we'll be back soon the athletic